Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Mickey Thorpe, the mercenary geologist. We talk about US politics, uh, gold, uranium, and battery metals. He gives us his view on the macro and also looks at some of the companies that he thinks are worth looking at. You can catch him on mercenarygeologist.com where he runs a newsletter and also on Twitter at mercenarygeo. Enjoy the podcast. Hey Mickey, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, you look great. You look great. We haven't spoken since... Uh, oh, so do you. Oh, well, thank you very much. You look dapper today, sir. Dapper. Uh, you look sartorial. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. Oh, this... <laughs> I, I have no more words. I have no more words. Uh, Mickey, um, so, crikey, it's been so long. It's got so long. Um, the world's slightly changed since we last spoke in August, uh-huh. doesn't it? Just a bit, right? But I got to ask, because you're, you're my man in place, US politics. I need to know what the heck is going on there. It's, it's crazy. So much fighting, so much discourse. What's going on? Yeah, it's, uh, it's scary is what it is. I am not a Republican or a Republicrat. I'm a libertarian, so I bring a, a bit different view of the two major parties. It's uh, basically Trump on one side and the anti-Trumpers on the other, and, and it's completely polarized. And then uh, probably as a result of what I refer to as the Wuhan flu, that may not be politically correct, but it's accurate. <laughs> uh, and everybody gets locked down for six weeks or two months or something, or most people, uh, some libertarians I know did not get locked down. But uh, so, so then we had uh, a cop murdering a, a black guy in Seattle and it unleashed this violence and anarchy. And I attribute it a lot to the fact that you can't lock down teenaged adolescent to uh, young early 20 something males in the inner cities for two months and not expect them to go on a on a rage when they're released. So uh, it's now spread uh, throughout a number of the uh, major cities and inner cities in the U.S. with looting and arson and and destroying of historic statues and and in Seattle's case, takeover of a six-block uh, area in downtown Seattle. It's not going to end well, uh, but it is of concern. With I mean, it in inner cities. There is an element of anarchy here, and no one seems to know how to stop it at this point. Yeah, I mean, it looks from from our side of the pond, it looks pretty horrific. You know, the, the, these are angry people on both sides. Um, you know, fighting. Not even obviously think the the original death of the individual George Lloyd was you know avoidable. Let's put it like that. And uh, well, it was obviously he was murdered. Yeah, uh, there's evidence that he and the cop had a history. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, before, uh, but from a on the other side of the big pond, uh, 
we see, I mean, the news we get, the same thing happens in London on occasion, too. So Really? Uh, well. <laughs> I missed that. I missed that. Well, do you have riots in the streets? And you have uh, anarchists. Historically, Britain is, England has been well known for that fairly radical left-wing element. So uh, I'm not saying you're facing the same situation as we speak, but historically, certainly uh, it happens, has happened in London. It's happened with uh, uh, terrorism in London. So it's coming from a different uh, perspective, perhaps. It's generally from what we would think uh, here, it's uh, uh, Muslim driven, if you will, but uh, these are complicated Who times. Knows? These are complicated times and complicated subjects, which I don't think you or I are equipped to discuss. So we better move on swiftly to what the sort of, what do you think the impact has been? Because obviously, we I want to talk today about uranium. I want to talk about gold. I want to talk about battery metals with you. Okay. Um, and though the world's been distracted by COVID nineteen, we've seen quantitative easing like we've never seen it before. You know. And that is going to have an impact on the on the market. We are we're printing money for fun at the moment. Um, yeah, everybody is. Everyone is absolutely, and you know, for, for poss possibly short term right reasons, but the long term, you know, really is uh, not going to help uh, matters. We're interested in mining. Um, I'm also interested in you know. Do you think it's been a huge distraction? Before we get into the topics that we want to discuss, but do you think it's been a huge distraction for the U.S. government having to deal with? I think there's a slight market reset just before the COVID uh, kind of pandemic hit um, globally and the U.S. Um, there was a there was terrible kind of infighting between Democrats and uh, the Republicans anyway before all this kind of came along. So. You know, I say polarizing was a phrase you used, and I, I would I would agree with that. But can or is the U.S. government able to make you know decisions for in the mining sector you know, which will you know help you know positively drive the business forward? Are you seeing that? Well, we've been seeing that since Trump was inaugurated, uh, with rollback of regulations, uh, a can-do versus a can't-do bureaucracy. Uh, no untoward permitting delays. So uh, the mining industry wa was doing quite well in the U.S., or the exploration and mining industry was doing quite well until this happened. And, and worldwide, uh, mines shut down, uh, supply chains became broken. We're still dealing with supply uh disruption and demand disruption uh, but once we are past that and our economy is rolling again and and I would say that other than a fact that lots of people are out of work and some of those will never go back to work uh, because right now they can make more money getting an unemployment check than they than they were making when they were working. Uh, the wisdom of our of our governments, uh, uh, the Nasdaq's an all time record yesterday. The S and P five hundred is up well over forty percent from the bottom. The Dow is is maybe 
uh, eight, nine percent off its uh, down this year. So the the markets have functioned and recovered in a classic V-shaped recovery. Uh, there are some, some systemic problems with the economy in the U.S. right now, and, and that has to do with a shutdown, and lots of mom-and-pop small businesses won't go back. Uh, the mining industry, well, uh, this whole thing's been good for the price of gold. The price of gold was good before have been on quite a run before this whole pandemic thing started. Price of gold went down along with the markets, uh, and that was predictable because people get margin calls. Institutions get margin calls. Hedge funds get margin calls. What do they do when they get margin calls? They liquidate the things that they can do to generate cash, and that involves selling gold. So gold had a V-shaped recovery, went down, I think, 1471, London PM closed. Uh, I bought the day before, not bad, 1480, I think we bought at. So uh, we hit that V-shaped recovery. Uh, gold yesterday, and let me look at my board right now, well, we're up about 10 bucks on 12 bucks on the day. So gold has once again set a, a seven and a half year high, more than seven and a half year high. Uh, last time gold was this high was in October. I can tell you the date, October 12th of, of uh, 2012. So well over a seven and a half year high. Yeah, I'm I mean, not sure I answered your question, but uh, uh yeah, and in and, and a round, roundabout way, you've, you've certainly hit, hit upon a few topics there. Because, but I, I guess what I would like from you, try to understand from you, again, in the context of the US here, oh, you've talked about the NASDAQ up, S&P up, everything's up, right, across the board. Um, yeah. what, so what Trump's been doing has been good for Wall Street, it's been good for equities. Um, but with the, yes. this quantitative easing program, do you not think there's a slight disconnect or do you think there's a literally a false economy in, 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 in doing that? And and does it and the big question is, what are you doing? Are you nervous? And if you are nervous, what are you doing about it? Well your point's well taken about this false sense of security or a false economy, because we've we've spent six trillion dollars that we don't have. So add that on to the national debt. Uh, not only that, but uh, I haven't paid taxes this year because tax due dates, income tax due dates have been postponed twice. So not only are they spending money they don't have, but they have no receipts coming in, no taxes coming in. So yes, it's absolutely, uh, economy built on a house of cards right now. Uh, ultimately, this whole financial system is going to collapse. We just don't know when it's going to. But what are you doing about it? What are you doing with your money? What am I doing about it? Same thing I always do. I buy gold on dips. I told you we bought gold at 1480 or something the day before it had its low because we knew it was coming. I mean, the same thing happened in 08, November 08. Gold hit a low of some less than $700, and then it popped right back up, and that's what's happened. So you buy gold. Uh, I continue to play the juniors. Um, 
I did not panic on March 17th or March 23rd and sell everything away the way a couple of, of well-known newsletter writers did in the U.S. sold and then bought back in in two weeks. Well, uh, that's not a way to make money. <laughs> sell at the bottom and then buy on the way up. No, back in. Uh, once it's starting to, to go back up, doesn't make any sense. Anyway, uh, I've been picking up some, I picked up some stocks I had on my radar screen for quite some time that I didn't buy uh, uh, when I probably wanted to. So I picked those off at, at, at low prices. Um, and I've sold some stuff that, uh, that and took profits uh, on this rebound things that I had held for a while. Uh, some of the dogs I had in my portfolio uh, during this recent run-up got to break-even point, and I sold those uh, uh, and moved into to better companies. So um, haven't really changed what I do very much. Why is that? Do you think, I can, I'm just going to ride this, this out. It, we, we may see yeah, a recession. Sure. So that suggests that you think it's going to be a short-term uh I'll use the word recession, you know, if, if, and when it comes, it's, it's going to come big. It's a question of how long. Is it a you know, medium-term hockey stick? Is it a big, long trough? Is it, you know, 10 years of, of pain? What, what, what do you think it looks yeah, like? Yeah, well, there, there's no doubt the world's in recession right now, and I don't have any answers on is it a shorter or a longer-term thing. I tend to think it's a longer-term thing. Uh, you know, unemployment is at record levels in the U.S. right now. But by the same token, I've been unemployed for 34 years now. <laughs> or semi-employed, semi-retired versus a consulting geologist. So, so I haven't had, point being, I haven't had a regular paycheck since 1987. So, uh doesn't really affect me. Uh, what what it does affect me is the market. So uh, my retirement account took a big hit uh, on March 23rd. And now it's probably right back near where it started before this whole thing happened. Uh, you know, if you, if you play index funds and play them smartly, uh, you can more than make the return on the S&P 500 time and time again, because you get the dividends. So uh, so from my point of view, it's the real concern, I think, is with the working middle class in the U.S. and can those people find jobs once we start to emerge from this? Yeah, and what type of jobs? You know, and what sort of well, level of pay? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a very different economy, and you know, people are going to have to adjust or be agile and, and, and adjust potentially. And but it yeah. has a knock-on effect, you know, Mickey, because you know, buying behavior will change. The sorts of things that people spend their money on will change. Markets will change. So it's 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 a it's a big deal. It's a real big deal. And I, oh, I'm just absolutely. wondering how people yeah. um, are adjusting their investment. Lucky enough to have money to invest, or adjusting. The way that they behave, the things that they invest in, 
types of, you know, in terms of the mix and the portfolio between, you know, the liquidity of it, the types of, you know, whether it be, you know, physical gold, people are talking a lot about at the moment because people do when times are times are hard. So you, you're kind of, it's more of the same as far as your concerns, what you just said. Yeah, well, exactly. So, you know, I have a conservative retirement account, uh, very dependent on the U.S. markets. I have a significant amount of my assets in junior resource companies, not miners, but explorers. And I own a significant amount of precious metals and I own some land and I got a farm to live on. So for me, it hasn't changed what I do as an investor or speculator, but certainly the world has changed and we will never be the same. Okay, so but not everyone, not everyone's lucky enough to be in your position. So, so if you're sitting on, you know, not a lot of cash, um, not everyone's going to be thinking like you because everyone's got a different business model. They've got different needs, right. different drivers, different strategies, and so forth. Is there anything out there that people are doing that's making you nervous? I mean, uh, yeah, I think the uh, the Nasdaq's overbought right now. The mm -hmm. Fangs are overbought, uh, and they've been the real winners in this because we've gone more to things like you and I are doing now. Uh, remote conferences, calls, a lot of stuff done, done online. So uh, so I would be cautious. I wouldn't be running into uh, to Google or Alphabet, pardon me, uh, Tesla, Apple, those sorts of things uh, at this juncture. Uh, and the stock market is is kind of who knows what's going on uh you know after we came out of the global economic crisis in in 20 late 20 mid late 2009 going into 2010 uh the fed built a stock market bubble uh by uh basically making loans cheap and supporting banks and those banks had more money than they could lend so what they do <laughs> they created investment arms and they went in the stock market so so the stock market bubble is still going on and the stock market was way overdue for a correction which we got in the beginnings of the flu the flu fears and now it's continuing so um, certainly the markets, I think, overall, you would have to think are overbought. But when you're my age and you're uh, a few years from being required to start taking money out of your retirement account, what do you do? You just stay the course and you take it as it is. Uh, and that's what I'm doing. Okay. Well, let, let's let's say you know each to each to their own. You know, everyone's got to work work out what's right for them. Um, let's talk about something which I think has been affected or will be affected by the um, the you know the continuing pandemic that we're seeing in terms of not just the the supply chains and the lack of ability to work, but in terms of the buying behavior, what's going on mentally, the, 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 the psyche is going to be affected by having been through something like this. So the battery metals space, okay, so I know you're a big copper guy, you know, and obviously we can talk about, you know, nickel, lithium, graphite, whatever you want, but I think I know you're a big copper guy. 
What, what are you seeing in the market? Are people scrabbling around interested in copper or are they waiting to sort of see how things pan out? Uh, copper is an interesting case. Uh, 25 million tons a year uh, in demand. About 21 of that would be mined. What we've seen in copper, we've seen demand disruption because the world shut down for a period of six weeks or so two months and is starting to emerge but at the same time because of concerns at mines mines shut down too so so in the short term uh it's equivocal for copper uh in the longer term as long as the world comes out of this and we have a semblance of a viable world economy uh copper is still the metal you want to be in uh, you know it's three, 3.4% annual increase of demand since 1900. That really isn't going to change. The battery metal component of copper, uh, and I would say, say let's look specifically at electric vehicles, is, is a drop in a bucket, even in the best scenario with electric vehicles. And who's buying an electric vehicle right now? Not very many people, number one, not very many people are buying uh, vehicles to begin with, but with gasoline prices sitting below two bucks a gallon in the U.S., who's going to buy an electric vehicle? Well, I don't really know, despite Tesla's uh, market cap right now. Um, The best projections you would see by 2030, uh, the demand for copper from electric vehicles uh, would be projected to be at most about a half a million tons a year. Well, so that's uh, uh, what a four percent, four percent increase in the copper demand. So uh, whether that four percent is comes to pass with optimistic views of a electric vehicle build out or not, it's really a drop in the bucket on the overall demand. It is, and I think we've talked about this with a few other people when we talked about battery and metals. You know, you've kind of got these large automotive, um, you know, ecosystems being built. You know, we've talked, the number I keep using is, you know, it's a $300 billion spent by the automotive companies to build the infrastructures and investment into providing partially or entirely electric vehicles. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a sunk cost. They are going to continue down that track. They are now incentivizing i.e. discounting their products to get people to buy that. And I think they're encouraging governments to do it and the automotive manufacturers themselves wow. are, are doing that. So they're trying to get people back into it quickly. But I, I'm, I'm with you. It's like you've been through, through something traumatic. You're, what the, you're not going to do is go and splash out on a big unit cost item like a car without really thinking about it. And as you say, in the U.S., we don't have this uh, over here. We are... Our, our gas is expensive. Um, I know that, yeah. Um, you know, so the decision-making is being made harder for people. Um, and I, you know, I wondered if what you're sort of seeing in terms of investment into battery metal companies, you know, in your case, you know, if you're looking around at the copper market, are there deals to be had because companies are not being fully valued? Or well, is it a case yeah. of they're not, they're, it's going to be a long time before they recover? What, what's your view on timing? Yeah, certainly uh, there are copper companies out there, explorers and developers 
that I put my money in and since this whole uh, virus thing happened. Uh, you know, I picked off uh, a good copper explorer three, about three weeks ago, was at a four-year low. Uh, it's low since the commodities crash in January of 2016 when copper went below two bucks. So I don't think that has to do with the fact that they're, uh, that copper is a small part of the copper market is for batteries uh, or things that are involve electricity. Basically, can't transmit or transform uh, electricity without copper. Uh, but it was just the fact that uh, the copper market is equivocal. Short-term copper market is equivocal. You know, we're still. Uh, I don't know. Let me look at the board here again. We're at 267 this morning, um, which, if you remember, on January 15th, price of copper is 284. Uh, so we haven't even gotten back to that. At 267, uh, a significant portion of the world's copper production is underwater. Average oiling costs worldwide is probably about 275. And that doesn't include the highest quartile. So the highest quartiles, more than three bucks, and those people are losing money every pound of copper they produce. Uh, uh, you know, we've seen that all the swing mines in Canada, the low-grade porphyries in BC, uh, they're all shut in or cut back. Uh, Red Chris failed. Uh, uh, you know, uh, so. Copper Mountain has failed once, or what used to be known as Princeton. So, so the swing mines are are not doing well, uh, and uh, so from that point of view, there's there's deals to be had uh, on copper companies right now. And we're, and you, I know you're a big advocate of you know buy America, buy buy US, and you've you know Nevada and so forth. But yeah, sure. what, are you looking outside now because the, the fact that there may be deals to be had, you know, globally. Or are you just still a believer in, you know, I think you've talked in the past about, you know, safe jurisdictional uh, risk. Yeah, the, the Americas is my, is my safe jurisdiction, specific companies in the Americas, specific projects. Uh, you know, uh, who knows in countries, but uh, uh, still on my radar screen are companies in Chile, Peru, Mexico, Canada, U.S. I uh, tend not to go across ponds anymore because I've been burned so many times before. Okay, I'd add. You're going to put money in Indo in a copper play in Indonesia right now, mate? I doubt it. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Maybe, maybe nickel. Maybe who knows? Um, we've got to add Ecuador in there. I, we've been interviewing a few companies from Ecuador recently, uh, like um, Lumina. You know, not not about yeah, Lumina Gold. I yeah, I know those guys, of course. Those guys. Um, got a few Ecuador scares me because of its past history mm. of socialism and anti-development, an indigenous pop population that that wants to continue to be subsistence farmers. Uh, so, from that point of view, none of my dollars are in Ecuador, and I have no intention of putting any money into Ecuador. I know a couple of good projects, but uh, it's Ecuador and I don't trust them. 
Okay. I, w- I, would, I would urge you to revisit that and to update the data there because there has changed, I think, significantly in the last you know couple of years. I would agree it's changed significantly, but you're only one presidential election away from uh, the next socialist and... But it, and well, the guy, yeah, and the guy in there now ran on being a socialist. He just did not ne- nearly end up being nearly as uh, far to the left as Correa was. There you go. It's degrees of socialism, but I think without without the oil revenues, I think they are finding that perhaps mining is a little bit more attractive to them. And there's a lot of big boys in there. So, I, like I say, I, I would urge you to have a look. Um, oh, I have had a look, mate. Yeah, I've had a look and. And I just uh, go. It does not meet my doesn't rock your boat profile at, okay. at this. Point. Well, that's fair enough. That's just not for that's you. A personal opinion. And hey, it's my money, and I do whatever the hell I want to with my money. And if you want to do something else with yours, more power to you. You're the boss you know? of you, right? Okay. Exactly. <laughs> the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Yeah. yeah. Through the best people you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> So let's let's talk let's let's move away from uh, copper, okay, and talk about um, okay. uranium, because oh boy, that has been a whole bunch of fun since we spoke in August. So much going on. I think we had the WNA in September in London. People expected something fantastic to happen after that. Then we had the um, utilities meeting up in Nashville in October. Then it was the end of the year. Then. <laughs> Everyone thought that it's got to be. It's, got, it's 2019 was the year, right? Had to be. We had the then we had the section two three two. Finally, this 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 year actually some kind of announcements. I don't know if it, well actually, what right. did you think of that section two three two announcement from the nuclear fuel? Yeah, I think we waited a long time for not a whole lot, uh, and and. You know, it was a couple of U.S. uranium producers that pushed for this quota thing, and and Trump administration wasn't going to do that. So the fact that they're going to spend, what, uh, a billion dollars over the next 10 years creating a national stockpile for uranium, I think is great. It's really, it's an important thing to do. Uh, but when you do the math, it's not that many pounds of, of uranium. Uh, the thing that moved the uranium market upwards was the shutdown of Cigar Lake and the uh, cutback by Kazakhstan and the fact that uh, two or three funds sprang up, specifically one ran by the Kazakh government, Yellowcake, that bought physical uranium and stores it. You know, it's easy to store yellow cake. It sits around in in yards in most of the uranium miners and in 55-gallon drums until the price gets good enough to sell it. So, so that's what really created this move up from about $25 a pound to where it's stagnated now at $34 a pound. The uranium... You know, everybody gets excited. The uranium stocks go on a little run and then they settle back down. It's going to take a lot more than $34 a pound to open up any new mines or 
reopen shuttered mines. Cigar Lake's not coming back anytime soon. Trust me. MacArthur River's not coming back anytime soon. Both those mills in the Athabasca are shut down right now. So there's no uranium come to my knowledge coming out of the Athabasca Basin. Uh, and so we still have a low uranium price. It's going to take in the U.S. going to take $45 a pound. That's sustainable uh, price for the ISR producers to come back. And that's a small amount of uranium. It, it is, it's small. And what's your take on, um, obviously, with COVID-19, it's shut down a, a few, uh, you know, as you say, Cameco are not going to open up um, Cigar Lake anytime soon. They, they shut down for the right reasons, but they're going to also ro- open up for the right economic reasons. Same with the uh, Kazakhs. Well, hey, and I would say they shut down for economic reasons. It gave them an excuse to shut down. And you, but... They, no one makes money. At, even the Kazakhs don't make money at this price uranium. That's why they set up this fund to store uranium until they get a better price for it. So, uh, you know, I still own the same uranium companies I've owned for quite some time. I own uh, a couple of uh, producers, developers, ISR in the U.S. Uh, well, more than that, three actually, and I've owned those for quite some time. Founding shareholder of one of those companies, so uh, just sit and wait. You know, how long are you going to wait though? There's the question. I don't know. Don't care. It'll yeah. be fine. It'll be fine. I, you know, I'm not in a hurry. It's it, at some point, the uranium price is going to go on a big run. We've seen it happen before. That's your advice. Is that your advice? Pro prologue. And, and I, I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen. I, I've been, I used to say this is the year or two years down the road. I quit saying that because I was wrong time and time again. I'm just sit there and wait. You know, I got my positions. I'm secure in my position. If the stocks go way down, I'll, I'll pick around and, and buy some more with stink bids and add on to positions with what I know are viable companies in the U.S. when the uranium price gets up to 45 or 50 bucks and stays there. It's going to happen because utilities are, their inventories are dwindling. And the one thing you got to have and, you know, is an inventory of those pellets. So. Yeah, you don't, you, you don't want to get fired for running out of fuel, right? No. Yeah. You know, one out of every five people in the U.S. that turn on light switch comes from nuclear fuel. Now, I don't know what it is in the U.K., but uh, I would think it's probably, it could be even more than that in the U.K. Do you know, I, I, I should know the actual number. I'm not going to blurt something out because I'll, I'll, get, I'll get it wrong. But yeah, I do understand. But one, one um, stat which did come out is that we, we ran on, for one day, I think last week, ran entirely on renewable, sorry, without coal the first time in a hundred years yeah. right so we're heading that way we're heading for for yeah. a fossil fossil free um or trying to head towards well, fossil free we'll see right if, and so the happens. only thing the only thing you can do is have nuclear in that mix yeah because if you don't if you want to go to a carbon free footprint it's got or but 
it's not exactly carbon free because you got to build the windmills and the solar arrays and the and the nu nuclear power plants, the small modular reactors, or wherever we're headed. Uh, but the wind doesn't blow 24-7, the sun doesn't shine. The most it shines anywhere would be 12 hours a day on average, but even the, the sunniest places on earth, you maybe get 80% of available sunshine and it gets dark. So, and we don't have storage at this point. We do not have uh, scalable storage for big power demands. So, you want to get rid of coal and gas and fuel oil? Need to come up with the answer. VRFB, long term storage. Yeah. Well, they've been working on that for 30 years, mate. And it still isn't here. They, they, and they're the getting closer. And, and, and the, well, absolutely, they're getting closer, and I'll grant you that. But the size, the footprint of these vanadium redox storage batteries are 10 football fields, you know? And who's got, in, in, this, in this day and age when people protest uh, wind farms offshore, who's going to? Where, where are you going to put these things? Where are you going to put a giant vanadium storage battery, redox storage battery in, in the UK? Where well, would you we're do that? going to find out because we've been talking to a, a few uh, renewable experts and there's a, a great guy, a great Australian guy actually called Ben Hurd who's been talking to us about smart energy mixes. So we are going to find out more over the next few weeks and months uh, from people like Maybe him. Maybe you can put them in the outback of... Uh, Australia, but that's a long way from, uh, <laughs> and, and Australia is no longer a colony, mate. <laughs> I, I was I was born there, so I, I'm, I'm, oh. I have a big affinity with my Australian brethren. Uh, and uh, yes, in fact, my whole family lives there, so yeah. Um, well, anyway, that's, that's enough of that. What, what's, um, what's exciting you at the moment, Mickey? Well, I'm excited about gold and gold stocks and we had, saw that big run up for a couple of months and a financing frenzy in May and now the bloom's off the road so a bunch of gold companies that went flying off the shelf and now settle back down where maybe you'd look at buying them again you, you know you want to buy things when they're unknown unloved unwanted and undervalued and and that wasn't the case a month ago uh, for a bunch of gold gold explorers uh, it, you know, we always see this trickle down from the majors to the mid tiers to the juniors. It usually takes quite a quite a few months for that to happen. It was all accelerated and condensed, and a bunch of juniors ran up really fast. And we had this plethora of financings, and now they've all come. Despite the the gold price, a bunch of them have come back to reality, and and so. Uh, might be a time to do that. I picked off a few copper stocks I've, I've told you about uh, sitting on uranium uh, and just looking for new opportunities, uh, specifically in gold stocks in the Western US or Alaska. Um, and if it's in Nevada, so much the better. 
a nice plug for Nevada. Well, look, Mickey, we better wrap it up there for 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 this uh, call. You've got to come on much more regularly. This is this. It's a crime. All you got to do is ask me. You know, I never say no. You never say I no. I may uh, say I'm not available at this time, but but I'm a yes man. Let's can do. Can you it. do this? Yes, I can. Let's do. I'm it. a can do, not a can't do guy. Well, um, it's been a pleasure, as always. Um, great to, to get your view on what's been going on in the world. Um, pick up the, well, we'll pick up the phone and maybe get something set up for um, maybe next month and sort of see how things have evolved. Right on. Can I give a plug here? Go for it. That's what I was asking. What's exciting you? And you, you were, you were closed mouth, tight lipped. I was like, Mickey, oh, okay. what happened? My business always excites me. I run a free subscription service, mercenarygeologist.com. Go to the website right below my mugshot. Uh, click on that. Give us a name, email address. You can take your name. Email address has to be uh, functioning. And you'll get all my stock picks the minute they come out. Uh, our subscriber base is up, and I'm doing the math in my head right now something on the order of 30 percent over over the last two and a half months uh and on twitter we have lots of fun with twitter at mercenary geo if you were on there yesterday uh you would have seen the fish i caught night before last on the rio grande i had a banner night on the summer solstice with a new moon and it was rated the best fishing day of the year, and I proved that it was. Um, I'm going to have to look at that photo now. That's brilliant, <laughs> Mickey. Well, like, thanks, thanks again. We'll um, put your details below in the description. Um, people can link through. Have a check your site out, um, and you know, sign up for the newsletter. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.